Hello and welcome to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly, never terribly hip podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. Each episode we take a look at a specific topic related to Arkham Horror, whether that's kitting out your investigator for a fight, the tomes in which one can find dark knowledge, or the horrors one might face in the night. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... Me, Peter. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you. Yes, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I guess quite a lot's changed since we recorded the last podcast. Yeah. The Dunwich Legacy is well underway now? Well underway. Some of us have set foot in a museum. Yeah. So we've had some feedback from the first couple of episodes. Thanks everyone for listening and subscribing. It's been a great reaction. People seem to be quite happy with how we're doing things, so that's good. We had some comments on the audio quality from my end on the first couple of uh, the first four episodes. I've got a new mic now, so hopefully I'm sounding much clearer and crisper. And we've cast a couple of spells and performed a couple of rituals to um, try and improve audio quality. So hopefully, Yogsathoth willing, it'll be slightly better. I think that's all for yeah, feedback. That's, all, that's all, all, all the major feedback, really, isn't it? I suppose the only other thing I'd say is, if you've taken the time to leave a comment on the FFG forums or a shout-out to us on Discord or Reddit or anything like that, we read everything and we're really grateful and it's really nice to have a conversation around things we might have missed or experiences that you've had as a player. So please keep them coming. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And thank you so much for, for listening. So... We're doing something slightly different from the first four episodes because we wanted to move away from being purely a podcast that goes through lists of cards. And in this episode, we're going to talk about one of our favourite investigators. And we've picked them pretty much at random when we started talking about the idea of doing an investigator-specific podcast episode. You, Peter, said, let's do this guy. Well, we, we picked. I guess we picked the ones we can talk the most about at the moment. I mean, obviously, I can talk about every investigator in a great amount of detail as a, an expert in Arkham Horror, but yeah. I just I just pick a couple and get really good at them. Yeah, exactly. It's our different play styles. <laughs> um, so in this episode, we're talking about... I'm going to get rid of all of that, by the way. That makes me sound like such a dickhead. <laughs> so without further ado, our topic for this episode is Zoe Samaras, the chef. She's just a chef. She's just a chef. Although, interestingly, I'm not sure how many chefs I know who have the traits believer and hunter. I suppose maybe if you're a rural chef who hunts for game that you cook in your restaurant, maybe. But I'm not sure she's that kind of hunter. So a quick rundown of her statistics. She has four willpower, two intellect, four combat, and two... Agility. I think she was one of the first investigators of the Dunwich Legacy that was spoiled, and her stat line is so stark. I love that there's basically peaks and troughs there that really say to you this investigator has very specific focus. She has a triggered reaction, which is after you become engaged with an enemy, gain one resource, and her Elder Sign effect is plus one, which is nice. If the skill test is successful during an attack, that attack deals plus one damage which is very nice, but slightly conditional. She has nine health and six sanity. 
First, it's it's nice just to have a quick chat about her abilities and her scores, I think. Mm. Uh, one of the things I, I think is interesting from a thematic point of view, without wanting to get too heavily into a theological discussion, I'm not sure that the Arkham Files background as written features a Judeo-Christian god. So Zoe's backstory is that God speaks to her and tells her to kill monsters and mythos creations, which which she does. But from an, Ar- an Arkham Files perspective, it might not be God who's speaking to her, which is already quite sinister. What what agenda has whoever is speaking to her got? Or is it something that she's completely made up herself? Yeah, you've got a great point there. And the other thing is that she starts hearing God after the terrible fire in which her parents are killed. So there's also that argument could be made that it's a a hallucination born out of a hugely traumatic event or that it has something to do with why her parents died. Maybe because I've got an investigator hat on at the moment, it makes me suspicious. Yeah, yeah, true. And, and, And in fact, her reaction ability, after you become engaged with an enemy, gain one resource. In Arkham, resources represent quite a few things. So it can directly represent cash or contacts or... yeah. Your your own grit and determination. Um, what we see in Zoe is that when she becomes engaged with a monster, she gains some measure of strength. So it, it's, it is like a god is giving her strength or her god is giving her strength when she's faced with an enemy, uh, So which, which I really like. And it encourages her to seek out enemies, to engage them and to deal with them, which is what you want to be doing with Zoe when you play the game. And when you play multiplayer and it's the mythos phase and you're all drawing your cards, I mean, you can still do something about it, but there's something sort of strangely disappointing if your three fellow investigators all draw enemies off the encounter deck and then Zoe draws, you know, a grasping hands or a frozen in fear or some other treachery that maybe just slows her down or is something she doesn't really want to do, but it's not any of the enemies and she has to then... Oh, well, that's just an opportunity to to start hunting then at that point, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's it's strange how it changes your play style slightly, or it changes your expectation of the encounter deck that rather than going, please not an enemy, please not an enemy, please not an enemy, when you're Zoe, you're sitting there going, enemy, enemy, desperate for, for combat. So deck building with Zoe, I, I feel her stats, I mean, the, the main one is the, is the fight stat, really, uh, that funnels you down a certain path of deck building. Yeah. One of the early decisions you have to make when you're deck building, I would guess, is what five out of faction cards are you going to include in Zoe? Yeah, so on that, her deck building options, so because she's a Dunwich investigator, which I'm sure is not news for anyone, but... So she's not got a dual class like any of the Corsair investigators. She can get Guardian cards level 0 to 5 and neutral cards level 0 to 5. But then she's only allowed 5 level 0 cards from any other class. So she has a great amount of freedom there, but only in a to a very small degree or with only a very small impact on her deck. Obviously, a 30-card deck, if 5 of those cards are off-class, that could be fairly potent. But deciding where you go with those five is one of the sort of fun things about deck building for Zoe. So in, in a, when I'm generally deck building for Zoe and I want to make something broadly useful, cards I like to look at in those out-of-faction slots are things like Drawn to the Flame. So Zoe with her, her fight of four and her willpower of four, 
and her low intellect of two means she's not doing much investigating, but she doesn't mind too much digging into the encounter deck. So one card, which just instantly discovers two clues on a location, even if it involves drawing a card from the encounter deck, that's really good for her. So I, I think Drawn to the Flame is, is usually a pretty solid pick for her. If you then pick some generally move, uh, useful movement cards, things like Shortcut or Elusive, you can then rely on the Guardian Pool to give you generally useful combat cards. So that's things like Machete and the .45 automatic. For sure. Interesting you say that. I mean, the interesting thing about Drawn to the Flame over something like Look What I Found is that Drawn to the Flame is, in theory, testless. You just draw an encounter card and you get two clues. And Look What I Found requires you to fail by two or fewer. So... Zoe doesn't want to be taking any investigating tests at all, or rather doesn't want to be investigating at all, because her intellect is so low that if you're trying to investigate somewhere with a high shroud and, and pass by two or fewer, that gets very difficult. And at low shroud locations, there are probably ways that she can get clues. And plus, of course, you, if, if you encounter a locked door or obscuring fog or something like that, you know, you've got drawn to the flame as a just a find two clues here despite the obstacle. The other thing I like about Drawn to the Flame in Zoe is that it feels quite nicely thematic for her, that it's almost like someone's whispered in her head where to find the, the evidence she needs to carry on. And yeah. that's where she goes. The other thing I was going to say about her investigating is you could also consider something like Right of Seeking for her. So that allows you to use your willpower instead of your intellect when investigating. And she has a nice willpower of four. This brings me on to an interesting deck-building idea I, I tried out recently. Not 100% successful, but interesting nonetheless. Was a was a hybrid spell and combat, Zoe. Okay. So what I did was I, I picked... This was actually inspired by a deck Matt Newman shared on, on the Discord. So I, I, pick, I picked Blinding Light as a way to evade enemies using my will, willpower and also to deal a little bit of damage, which is handy if you've got a hunter or a enemy with retaliated location that everyone needs to attack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I had... Uh, shriveling was, was kind of a, a a fifth weapon. I usually find... I like about fifth, five weapons in a deck to, to, to find me a weapon when I need it. So shriveling was another weapon that didn't use a hand slot. Which is very useful. Yeah, you could, you could be in a situation with a machete down and the .45 and shriveling and you'd have lots of options for what you want to do with enemies. And then you could pick, say, police badges and beat cops. So you can be at five willpower and five fight all at the same time, uh, making you pretty pretty much immune to anything that's coming off the encounter deck, unless it's testing your agility or your intellect. And normally these, those agility tests, the ones we've seen, are tied to damage rather than tied to horror. And Zoe has a health of nine, so she doesn't mind too much if she flubs one of those. The difficulty is those intellect tests, I would say, and that's particularly difficult if you're playing solo and you're trying to collect clues as well as do fighting. But we'll talk about solo versus multiplayer maybe later on. So, yeah, the, the problem I had with the hybrid deck was that it, it struggled to do anything but fight. Uh, and if you're not confronted with a load of monsters straight away, then you don't have much to do. Whereas with a more classical Zoe build. You've got cards like Drawn to the Flame in there. You can build up other stuff in the meantime, you know? Yeah. So 
it's worth talking about Zoe as fighter. There's something else we haven't mentioned yet, which is that her signature asset and her signature weak weakness also push you down this path of you need to fight. So her signature asset is a one-cost asset, and it takes up the accessory slot, and it's Zoe's cross symbol of righteousness. It has two combat icons and a wild icon. It's an item and a charm. It's her deck only, and it has a reaction after an enemy becomes engaged with you, exhaust Zoe's cross and spend one resource, deal one damage to that enemy. So obviously that has fantastic synergy with the fact that whenever she becomes engaged with an enemy, she gains a resource. So you could spend that resource straight away to deal a point of damage. What was interesting was you mentioned police badge and for other guardians or players who can take guardian cards, they don't really have anything competing for that accessory slot. But for Zoe, she does have this really incredible accessory there's no reason why you can't have more than one and decide which one you want to play. But it's def definitely a point of hesitation for me when I'm deck building. Yeah, I mean, Police Badge is is better because it, it does have that discard ability where you get two actions. Yeah, it is difficult having two cards that use the same slot, especially if it's a, if it's a single slot like accessory. Yeah, w with weapons you go for five because you can sort of pick and choose as long as you're not taking any two-handed weapons. But with the accessory, the worst situation is having maybe police badge in your opening hand and you play it and then your first upkeep phase, you draw Zoe's cross and think, oh, damn. So the, the, the cross is great. I think we've we've talked about this on other cards in the past, but automatic damage, uh, such as done by Zoe's cross, is generally really powerful. It continues to be a hallmark of the Guardian class, I think, that there are lots of different ways their allies all seem to do damage. There are lots of different ways that the Guardians can get a free pip of damage. And it's it's great. I mean, its main use is obviously if, if, you're, if there's a three health or, or an odd health enemy at your location and you've got a, a weapon like a, a machete or a, a, a .45, then you, you get that extra, the odd point of damage is free. It doesn't need an action beyond engaging the enemy. The other consideration is if you're using the machete in Zoe and you're already engaged with an enemy and you draw another enemy off the encounter deck that's a two health enemy, say, you can use the cross then to take it down to one health. And then your first action could be to hit that one health enemy and get rid of it because you wouldn't be doing the extra damage with the machete because you'd have two enemies engaged with you. But that then frees you up to hit the other enemy for more damage. So it also helps you in some of those odd maths problem situations with the machete where you're losing the extra damage yeah i've definitely been in situations like that and in fact the other card we're talking about now is a, a guardian card but probably seen by most people as a zoe card which is taunt yeah as as anyone who knows me will know taunt is is one of my favorite cards i absolutely adore taunt and you you originally didn't like the look of taunt right well i i saw it and i i, I I thought it was fine, but it looked like it would struggle to fill, to justify its worth in, in your deck. Its worst case is that it gives you a spare action. It saves you an action with engaging an enemy. And obviously in Zoe, it works with her ability because she gains the money. But I figured, you know, ha is that really worth it? Is it, re is it the, the odd action it saves you really worth it? But after playing with it, it's just fantastic. It saves you actions on the turns where you really need the actions. So I've I've had turns where, especially with Zoe's cross, where you've got a couple of enemies at your location. One of them will need a few attacks to kill. The other one, 
you know, is engaged with someone else. You play the taunt, you engage all the enemies, the cross kills one, you can kill the other one with your attacks, and then you've possibly even got an action to spare, which you wouldn't have had previously, and no one gets hurt. It's fantastic in that way. I think maybe one of the challenges for a card like Taunt is that people think about the best case scenario, which is that you taunt and draw four enemies onto you and get four resources, and the upgraded version of Taunt gives you a card for each of them as well, and then you're left with this pile of enemies that you can't handle because you don't have enough attacks, and so the, the best case scenario starts falling on its on its arse a bit. But actually, the times when Taunt is useful are exactly the times that you describe when it's saving you one action for a turn that you only need to do a couple of hits or three hits or something like that. And it's maybe one or two enemies rather than six enemies. Hopefully with Zoe and Taunt, you don't get in a situation where you've still got four enemies on the board you need to to engage. I've used Taunt most often with one or two enemies on the board. And just saving that action on that turn where you need to engage them and kill them is absolutely critical. This is a game where we only have three actions and using those actions efficiently can be the difference between success or failure. And if you can avoid that turn of engage, attack, attack, and that turn is instead taunt, attack, attack, do something else, it's fantastic. Speaking of attacking, we should mention her signature weakness, which is a treachery card, and it's a task, and it's called Smite the Wicked. And it says, this. I love this card as well, because this is also showing us the, the scope that the designers have with what they can do with these signature weaknesses. So this one says, Revelation, discard cards from the top of the encounter deck until an enemy is discarded. Attach Smite the Wicked to that enemy and spawn it at the location farthest from you. Forced, when the game ends, if attached enemy is in play, you suffer one mental trauma. This is great. I, I, I absolutely love Smite the Wicked. I think it's straight away, it's thematic as well. The art is just gruesomely brilliant. It's this lovely, yeah, I'm, I completely agree with the art. It's so foul. It's this lovely callback to what you said about the voices and who who is God who's speaking to Zoe that sometimes the calling says, go all the way across the map and deal with this person and she needs to do it. So at that point you're thinking, is that actually messing with me rather than encouraging me? Yes, yeah, she'll get the resource for engaging the enemy if she goes and deals with it, but it can cause you so much trouble. We had we were playing The House Always Wins in a three-player game with Zoe, and it was the penultimate turn. We were setting up for all resigning, ready to go, and the investigator who was controlling Zoe drew Smite the Wicked, and we ended up drawing a conglomeration of spheres that spawned in the Clover Club lounge, because that was the furthest away <laughs> location. I think with two enemies between us and the conglomeration of spheres. And we, yeah, we had one doom to go. We were all set up to basically resign the following turn. And we must have spent 15 or 20 minutes scratching our heads, trying to work out if there was a way, if Jim went first and engaged this other enemy, then... You know, could we play a shortcut on Zoe to push her closer and she could run in? And then how is she going to do six damage to a conglomeration of spheres in one turn and get back to resign? It's so foul. I think we took the mental trauma just trying to work out that puzzle. I've been in a very similar situation when we played Carnival, where I basically screwed up our game for everyone. I'd run ahead to be in a location where enemies are more likely to appear. Yeah. I took a couple of actions on my turn, and then drew last last action, 
much to my friend Matt's dismay, and pulled Smite the Wicked. Now he was he was playing as Daisy, and he was in the location anti-clockwise, one location anti-clockwise from me, and already behind had behind you in the festival. That's right, yeah. Which which of course is the location furthest away from you. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was that, that ended up in a very <laughs> difficult position. He actually already had an enemy in his location as well. So nice. suddenly, so you bit, just really piled on him. Yeah. I did, yeah, and and we didn't. No one, no one came out of that situation particularly well, to be honest. <laughs> I like that in that situation. It's it's God sort of saying, "It's behind you," and she's she's surged off into the crowd only to realise that actually, it's waiting behind her. Yeah, in the in the Clover Club lounge. We had this strong sense that it was Zoe kind of getting a bit of a bloodlust and wanting to come storming back into the lounge for more fighting. Yeah. I, generally, I, mind, I I don't find Smite the Wicked too much of an onerous weakness itself. Often where it upsets me is it shuffles back in weaknesses we've already dealt with that we don't want coming back because you just discard a load of cards when you play it, yeah. Yeah, so that you end up then milling the encounter deck, as it were, so that's more likely to get reshuffled. Definitely, the, there's a, a, just a couple of really small points. One is that it doesn't it doesn't say that Zoe has to be the one that kills the enemy. So sometimes on a scenario like the Midnight Masks, where you might have spread out across the town, across Arkham, to deal with the cultists, this could pull something like an Acolyte that's really easy to kill, and put it really near someone else who's got a way of dealing with it, you know, Agnes with Forbidden Knowledge or someone else who's playing with you. And it can be dealt with very simply. It can be a single action to deal with it. The other thing to note is that I wonder if this is a small theme developing that Guardian's weaknesses give them mental trauma because Roland's also gives them a mental trauma if he doesn't deal with yeah, it. Yeah, they're both more pressed for mental health pools, or, or sorry, sanity, than than other investigators generally, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They don't like taking mental trauma if they can possibly avoid it. So I guess the, the thing I haven't talked about is, is why why I really enjoy playing as Zoe. Please do. Z- Zoe feels... She's quite direct, I feel. She's got obvious paths, like her, her stats and the Guardian card pool at the moment pushes down one major route which I've talked about which is a general combat build so you take you know four weapons maybe have a fire axe you take some of the the guardian events like dodge and taunt and evidence and then you and take dynamite beat blast yeah although I, I, I've, I sometimes end up dropping that actually because it's quite expensive I was mainly being playful but if anyone can survive dynamite in her face it's probably Zoe uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, you can even pick uh, physical training in in Zoe because if she tends to be a bit more cash rich, especially, well, she's definitely more cash cash rich than than Roland is. So you you, you take those kind of cards and then you go and fight stuff, <laughs> and and fighting stuff is cool. It's quite it has a very immediate and obvious impact on the game, and it directly benefits the group by allowing other people to do what they want to do as well. So you don't want to be getting into a situation where say. Rex is having to fight or evade a lot of monsters. Zoe is there, protecting Rex, being a guardian, by engaging the monsters and then fighting them herself. So she, she's she's quite direct. I think is is my the main reason I like her, and I I like the the slightly sinister thematic side of her as well. 
yeah, there's a clarity to what she needs to do that mirrors the clarity of her own call from God to go and kill things. You know, that her investigator abilities, her weakness, her signature asset, they're all pointing you in the same direction, which is to go and fight. And that can be really enjoyable if you just want to set up a, a decent fighter who's ready to go. All of the cards you mention are really useful for her as well. I suppose the other thing to remember with the Dunwich Investigators is if you wanted to try and make her into a rounded investigator, you could take hyper-awareness as well as physical training, which allows her to boost all of her statistics. This is, you humour me slightly here, this would be when you're building a, a very strange Zoe deck, but maybe where you wanted a, a well-rounded one. I think the, the trouble with that is that there's so little that l lends itself towards making her do anything other than use willpower or combat, and particularly the Guardian class, apart from, I was going to say evidence, but even evidence actually requires you to kill kill something. There's very few cards that, that say, try and round me out, I could be a jack of all trades. Most of those cards say, I'm a warrior. Yeah, I, I think if, if, you, if you're wanting a solo Guardian, or a, a solo investigator in general, Zoe's not the place to start. And I have I have played Zoe Zoe solo because I play more solo than I play multiplayer, and I think I ran a right of seeking and two drawn to the flame, and maybe two shortcuts or maybe I can't remember what else it was. Things like rabbit's foot, you don't want to take because that competes with the Zoe's cross slot that the police badges anyway going to compete for. You don't really want to import an out of faction ally because you've got beat cop that you're going to upgrade to, or you could also upgrade to brother Xavier. So it feels that she's fairly leading you down a specific path and the ideal is that you get her weapons out and then you try and sort of drag yourself by hook or by crook through the investigations you need to do um, so that she can do deal with the fighting. I think I've seen people playing Zoe with double or nothing as well. So you can do a fight test, boost it with physical training and do ludicrous amounts of damage per hit, you know, do six damage in a hit or something like that. Just while we're on out-of-faction cards that come in, you mentioned Fireaxe there, and I wondered when you would mention Fireaxe, because I know that you're a huge Fireaxe fan. So how do you feel Fireaxe works in Zoe, given that as she's engaging enemies, she's getting resources, and Fireaxe wants you to have few resources so that you can do the extra damage? So I'll answer your question with an anecdote. It, we were playing House Always Wins. I think it was our second time through House Always Wins. I drew in my opening hand a fire axe and Zoe's cross, and they were the only two cards I managed to, uh, the only two assets I managed to play for that entire game. Everything else was was just a, a, a you know cheap event, a dodge or an evidence or a taunt, yeah. uh, or or skill cards, or just com committed to skill tests. And I just chopped everything up. <laughs> it it was it was great fun. So so the fire axe means that. You can spend the money you get from being engaged by an enemy on the fire axe combat boost straight away. You're you're taking those combat tests at six fire axes plus two, isn't it? Yeah, per resource. And yeah. because you've spent the resource, then you're doing two damage as well. So, as en as more enemies come in, you spend the money you get from engaging, and you put that strength straight into the fire axe. The difficulty is, of course, if you have multiple enemies coming into you, then 
your second tests have done at your base fight value, which can be difficult, but you know, with four, especially if you get a beat cop down earlier, that that's great. And I, I mentioned this when we talked about fire axe previously, but into that build, into that mix, I can see throwing a card coming in. I think it's the third pack, which was in the uh, Fantasy Flight Games preview article, which is Keen Eye, and that gives you a permanent boost for the turn for spending resources. So you can see a situation where you just Zoe throws all of her money into using a fire axe, maybe using her cross, and then Kenai as well, and is able to just stay at no money for the extra damage and have a high combat value and do extra damage. And one of the advantages of that is that Zoe's cross and the fire axe only each cost one, so it's not you're not relying on very expensive weapons or very expensive assets more generally. And a lot of Guardian events don't cost too much. They normally cost one or two. So you just sit at that one or two point. She can reliably go up to two if she engages an enemy per turn. And you bounce along. I like it. I think it's interesting. I think it's different from how people play Guardian, where they expect Guardian to have a big pool of money so they can pay for a lot of its expensive assets and expensive events, like Dynamite Blast. It gives you gives you a lot more room in your deck for, for other cards as well. So you could probably keep Machete, but maybe drop your, your 45, maybe drop your Beat Cop for a, a cheaper ally. You probably have to drop the Dynamite Blast, which is a shame. But then these are all slots in your deck you can you can put other useful cards into. So maybe things along the lines of Stand Together or Emergency Aid that are, are cheap and have interesting utility which are normally cut out for other cards as well and more skill cards more skill cards always good draw you through your deck give you that impression of a very lean deck where everything's singing so so i think in conclusion what this highlights is that even though it feels like it's a fairly direct play style there's so much scope for taking zoe in a slightly different direction whether that's solo or multiplayer it's easy to go with the standard build, but there's ways of playing with her that would actually lend themselves quite interestingly to a slightly different role. And that's why we wanted to talk about Zoe. So that's all we're going to talk about this episode, I think. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find Peter on Reddit, Discord, Board Game Geek, Twitter. Twitter. As unit led, that's United. Um, it's United. Oh, United! Shit, yeah. sorry. <laughs> As United, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter as at fb. That's e p h underscore b e e. I'm on Discord as Zoe Glass, and you can also email us if you want to. Our email address is drawn to the flame podcast at gmail dot com. We're also on Facebook as well. So we're drawn to the flame on Facebook. So if you like our page, you'll be able to see us chatting about Arkham and you'll be able to see when the the new episodes are up. Good point. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Hello, it's Frank here. This is just a tiny bonus bit for this episode of the podcast, the Zoe episode. And I'm recording it by myself because there's been a Fantasy Flight Games news article about the Essex County Express Mythos Pack, which is the second Mythos Pack, which is due next week, I think. 
and there was one card that's been spoiled in that news announcement that I thought was so important to our discussion about Zoe and probably was worth us knowing before we recorded that I just wanted to record a little bit now to talk about it and cover it. So if you've not seen that news article and you don't want to see player cards for the Essex County Express Mythos Pack, definitely stop listening to the episode now. If you're still with me, hello. So the card you can probably guess is Relic Hunter. It's a three experience cost asset and it's a permanent asset so it doesn't have a cost to play. When you pay the three experience it sits in play all the time. It's a talent, it has the flavour text, no stone unturned, no ancient treasure left behind and it reads very simply, you have one additional accessory slot. Now the reason why I wanted to talk about this card is that Zoe's Cross takes the accessory slot and it's such a powerful card, it provides such reliable direct damage that doesn't require a test, that it's quite easy to not want to consider any other accessories because you want Zoe's Cross. And particularly in Zoe, there are a couple of other accessories that might compete for that slot, and the idea of being able to have two of them out at the same time is really compelling. So one of those possible accessories is the police badge, which is a two experience guardian card that Zoe would love. Will Pip is nice, but extra actions is even nicer. And there's also the Holy Rosary, which is an accessory. So if you're playing as a Zoe, uh, Zoe build where you're really leveraging your high willpower, you might want that extra willpower either from the police badge or from the Holy Rosary. And you might not be inclined to put either in your deck because of the competition for that slot with Zoe's Cross, but Relic Hunter avoids that whole complication as it is. Of course, if you want to make the most use out of Relic Hunter and you're going to spend three experience points on the card, you really want every time you play with that deck to get two accessories down in the same way that there are two hand slots and if you're putting five or six weapons in your deck, you want there to be the time when you've used both of your hands and you've you've made good use of it. So maybe you want to go up to running four or even five accessories in your deck. And that would mean in Zoe, Zoe's Cross, and maybe two police badges, and maybe one something else. Of course, there's another great accessory, Rabbit's Foot, which allow, you know, leverages failed tests. So there's options there, basically. But really all I wanted to say was that we dismissed some of those points earlier in our discussion because we didn't have Relic Hunter in mind. And maybe we would have been a little bit more circumspect if we'd known about Relic Hunter. So I just wanted to chuck that in. Anyway, if you have any great two accessory deck ideas that would leverage Relic Hunter really successfully, they don't have to be in Zoe, let us know. You know how to contact us. And thanks again for listening. Bye. I started humming the music now just as I walk around. <laughs>